Dear Colgate, I love that you love that I love being at home. You even let me whiten my teeth from home. Because you know how I feel about getting up from my cloud couch. The Colgate Optic White LED Kit gives professional-level results in just 10 minutes a day for 10 days when used as directed. And that's why, Colgate, I want you to meet my parents. Because ever since meeting you, I've been living life to the brightest. Colgate Optic White. Find it at all major retailers. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey there, I'm Jason Gotts, and you're listening to Think Again, a Big Think podcast. Started in 2008, Big Think is a kind of online think tank of big ideas from some of the most creative thinkers on Earth. On the Think Again podcast, we revisit these ideas in new and unpredictable ways. Our video producers uh, surprise me and my guests with short interview clips, you guys will hear the audio, from Big Think's archives, ideas that we didn't necessarily come here expecting to discuss. I am very, very, very happy to be here today with Timothy Spall. He is an extraordinary actor, best known perhaps for the many films he's done with director Mike Lee, including Secrets and Lies and Mr. Turner, for which he won Best Actor at Cannes. Uh, he's best known to me for those reasons. I've been following his career for many, many years now. And according to IMDB, he's got over 130 credits, so that is an incredible amount of work, both in Hollywood and high art and everything in between. His latest film is The Journey. It's based on a real road trip that happened in 2006 when two arch enemies, the heads of Ireland's warring factions, spent about an hour together in the back seat of a car. This was the prelude to a historic peace deal, unifying Ireland and cementing the end of its long civil war. Welcome to Think Again, Timothy. Nice to be here. It's really great to have you. Um, let's start with the journey a little bit. You, like I said, I've been watching your work for, for many years. Your transformation, the character that you play in this, which the Reverend, and now I'm forgetting the name, so remind me the of the Reverend Ian Paisley, or okay. Dr. Ian Paisley, or Ian Kyle Paisley. He's uh, uh, Ian Paisley. Right, <laughs> who's like a you know, firebrand, famous firebrand, Protestant reverend, and reverend, he's, a, yeah. he's a leader of the... Yeah. He's he invented his own, uh, he was a member of the Protestant party originally, he invented his own party called the Democratic Unionist Party. Right. Uh, it's a Protestant-based uh, uh, political party. He also invented his own church, Free Presbyterians. I mean, cause, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, factionalism within the Protestant church in Northern Ireland is extraordinary. And then the factionalism and tribalism within Northern Ireland, considering this tiny country, is uh, quite remarkable as well. But he, uh, yeah, right. he, he ended up being the voice piece for the uh, Protestant population of Northern Ireland. Right, this sort of pro-British, pro-royalist, yeah, know. unionist, yeah. Okay. Keeping Northern Ireland for anybody who doesn't know, because it is a bit complicated. Right, is uh, Southern as an island next to the British Islands, but the, the small corner of it in the north east part of it is Northern Ireland, which remains part of the British Isles. The rest of it is the Republic of Ireland or right. Ireland, but Northern Ireland is part of British Isles, but half of Northern Ireland 
is pro-British and the other half is Republican. Right. And they tend to cross the divide between Protestant and Catholic. Not all of them, but the Catholic Sinn Féin tend to be Republicans and the Protestant faction pretend to want to remain part of the British Union. But that's not right across the board, but that you could say as a general picture. Gotcha. And it's gone on for 300 years and it's caused a lot of grief and a lot of terrible sorrow and it's just really only in the last 20 years become kind of resolved but it's still little question marks all over it all the time. Still bubbling because yeah. as they say in the film like you never quite know what the next generation is going to do, how, no. how they're going to interpret these things. No indeed I mean from my experience and my watching it over the years uh, I mean I think one of the great great uh, advances in it is the absolute lots of appetite for any more of it from the younger generation particularly and the older generation who are sick to teeth of it uh, but the the divides still are very much there but uh, the, the desire or the tolerance of this violence is no longer there and yet you know as we see in the world there are like many many, many examples of mm -hmm. how to use violence in a political cause that, yes. that could be inspirational theoretically god forbid well indeed i mean <laughs> the, one of the old one of the great noble statements that people tend to come down on the side of it being laudable is he's prepared to die for his causes right and if the other people on the other side whose causes don't relate to yours and they're prepared to die for their causes right it's called war right <laughs> or right. conflict so what we like to make noble, and, um, and quite rightly in some cases, is often the root of conflict. Indeed, well, and in some cases, yeah, I mean, it's very hard, historically... Sounds like stating the obvious, but sometimes you have to. No, mm -hmm. no, I mean, mm -hmm. you know, historically, it seems in inevitable that these things are going to happen sometimes. I mean, you know, the, the America, where we are sitting now, it's mm -hmm. war for independence against your yes. country, yeah. you know, as an American, like, it's impossible to see that as anything but necessary and inevitable and the deaths that happened as mm. unfortunate but, but necessary. Well, yeah. indeed, the same way as resisting Nazism and so on and so forth, right, all right. these global Precisely. things, you know, I mean, yeah. these, obviously, I mean, we conveniently forget what leads to these things. Well, coming back to, coming back to the film itself, mm. I wanted to ask you how you prepare I heard you saying in an old interview that like you you know in order to be less stressed these days you come to films you come to your mm. work like having done an incredible amount of homework yeah this character is a complete transformation yeah. physically the that laugh mm. oh my god mm. um, you know everything about this guy is very different from mm. uh, or much about him is very different from the person who's sitting here yeah. in front of me yeah. So, like, what? How did you go about it? You know? Well, firstly, you have to make a decision. When you know, you sometimes you can say, actually, I'm not going to do anything. I'm not going to try and be like him. You know, he's a character from history, so on and so forth. I'll, I'll, I'll think about it and I'll try and interpret it yeah. through using myself as the vessel. But my interest as an actor is often the route to someone's interior is what's on the outside of them, and obviously. If you're playing someone who's a public figure right. and is very well known, and somebody, not only a public figure, is so well known, 
everybody thought they could do an impersonation of him. Right. You know, it was one of those characters, despised by many people, right. loved by many. Totally um, unknown to most of us in the U.S. Yeah, most, yeah, yeah, yeah. They, yeah uh, <laughs> indeed, indeed, unknown. But this character was always on the news, always uh, terrifying uh, and always uh, unpalatable to a lot of people. But a lot of people, even people who could not impersonate a dog barking felt they had the right to be able to impersonate this right, right, right. because he was very voluble. <laughs> um, you know, so given that there's someone there that everybody knows, like, you make a decision, do I just go along and do a version or do I try and become this person using their idiosyncrasies, their physical attributes? Uh -huh. But actually, the one thing I always think of, that is, okay, the obvious on one level thing you say, right, that means what, you impersonate them. Get in their walk, get yeah, their face. Yeah, like, in, yeah. in fact, there is, to a certain degree, impersonating them, but it's the opposite to that, which is, is looking at what they do and try and fit it on you rather than impersonate it. See it, try to do it. Right. Parts of them, how they speak, the intonation, don't forget, an accent is really only three things. It's a consonant a vowel sound and an intonation. Okay. Now, you can look at somebody how they walk, you can look at somebody how they talk, all the things, how they move their hands. But these are, all the, these are all the exterior things. What you've got to do is then connect that back, way, way back to where that's coming from inside them. So I always look at them, try and feel, become them a bit, and a lot of this is compounded by my work with Mike Lee. That's the way you create these characters with him from the ground up, right. from zero, from their birth, you know, right up to the wherever age they are. You work on creating this full-blooded, full character and you build their history. So in another way, if you've got a script and you're gonna go back, I do the same really. So I start looking at that, see what the exterior is, and then I look at pictures of them Really, I, I dig out pictures if they are of what they were like, look like when they were children. I look at them a lot. I get real. I look stare. I get right close up to pictures and look right into their eyes. And I try and find a fragility, or something that is contra right. to that exterior idiosyncrasy, gotcha. and to crack it. It's almost like a, a detective thing of what and what is this? What's the thing? Like all human beings. We all like to have a, oh, he's this, he's that. Right, right. But we all know human beings have contradictions. That's what makes them textured and complex. Yeah, like so, on the outside, you might people might say, oh, this yeah. guy is like a bigoted, raving, yeah, yeah. you know, uh, religious nut, whatever. Absolutely. Yeah, and then you've got your job right. is to take that on board and say, well, this is actually use that to his benefit. Yeah, yeah. But in fact, what did he look like when he was a kid? How did he behave? What What's he like when he's on his own? And what's he like? Like when he's, you know, how much of this is a shtick, a right, political right, shtick, right, right. how much of this is what he is. So, And I got the sense from your performance that at least a lot of it wasn't a shtick. I mean, at least yeah. the, the, the no. you know, the loud, you know, mm. performance when he was giving, yeah. when he was um, preaching, yeah, yeah. that would be one thing. But the layers of defensiveness, the, yes. you know, the anger, the sort of self-righteousness, that mm. all of this was built up from a very long time Yeah, ago. exactly. Right. And what, what with his character in, in Vazawa, it, it's hard to say. See, in a modern but political so-called Western character, the absolute belief in the gospel of the Lord and the, and, the, right. and the dissemination of that, the spreading of that. I mean, he was an evangelical 
priest right. as well, you know, uh, you know, uh, pastor. Sort of Calvinist in a yeah, way. Yeah, right? and like, if you listen, and I listen to quite a lot of his, you know, I can't imagine anybody going, oh, I, I must immediately listen to him, you know, Dr. Ian Paisley's, uh, but there's some at America's, he went to Bob Jones University here, oh, okay. and that's where he got his honorary doctorship from. That's, that makes you know, sense. Yeah, and um, he uh, wrote a big, you know, thesis on, uh, you know, on, on theology and so on and so on, which he, certain things. So he's a, well, I mean, he's left a, a massive library that people thought he was a bigot and didn't read. But when now I went and visited, because I visited his wife recently, you see this incredibly extensive library of all the different political people he's read right back to Luther and one of his heroes and his opponents he's read about. So he was a very far more textured, far more um, cultured and cultivated, self-cultivated man and his right. appearance because it didn't suit him to do that. But all these elements, and then you, you think, oh, well, actually, there's all that. There was two things I looked at. He was old and he hadn't been well, and he was saying goodbye to the Westminster Parliament, which is the national government, and he was going to leave that so he could go and get involved with the regional government of Northern Ireland. And there's a very conciliatory speech, an older man who looks like, in a sense, he's been through a massive, almost road to Damascus choice in himself. There's that. But funny enough, there's also a picture I saw of him when he was about maybe 13, 14, with his dad and his brother, uh, and they're standing outside a church in 1930s, Northern Ireland, grim gray chapel, and he's kind of grown out of his clothes because he's a very tall man, he was mm. six foot six. And this suit he had on, the trousers were too short, and he looked like a big gangly, rather <laughs> sensitive, rather awkward, a little bit unsure youth. I kept looking at that and thinking about that because there were little flashes of it. I kept seeing him as an adult. So to me, right. this little chink of vulnerability, this gangly, almost laughable youth, what was that inside there? What was that in there? You know, that, and that to me was yeah. a very fragile part of the tapestry that goes in. You know, we're all babies that have got, with, with babies that have got layers and layers of sophistication, some under the pressure of having to grow up, some through experience, and some just through what our uh, preoccupations are and what our passions and what our decisions about how we think we can contribute, whether we think we're leaders or right. followers or so on and so forth. Right, you know? and also like the, invisible battles that we're fighting with all the people who have done X, Y, or Z to us in the yeah, past. Indeed. And yes, <laughs> in, in, indeed, yes, indeed, and this constant, yeah, exactly, and what is that, you know, this, what is that choice, how much is it, we can ask this a fundamental question, how much is, is the ego and the desire to be in charge of power for good or bad, right. how much is it based on your absolute fundamental belief in things, how much is that driven by you merely wanting them to be in charge or your desire for everybody's life to be better? This is a constant, universal, global question. I, I often think, you know, and I'm not making any uh, value judgment on this, but what a bizarre thing to wake up one morning and decide you wanted to be the President of the United States. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's not normal, is it? Right, right, right. You know, it's not a normal thing. It's like saying, or wake up and say, I want to be the Prime Minister of England. Yeah. Or Britain. Or, and I want to, or wh when do you make that decision? Do you want to be someone that, now, where does it come from? How much is it is ego? How much is it 
as a result of what you've experienced, how much is it how you think you want to chill, how much you think you want to value. All these questions right. are fundamentally interesting and are a constant interest to me. And as an actor, your job is to delve into these things, to think, what is it? What is the fundamental motivation? For us right now, you know, like where we're at in the US, um, and I'm, you know, quite transparently, mm. as are so many people in the kind of media that I do, like mm. on the sort of progressive, liberal, yes. artsy side of things. You know, for a lot of us, the issue is that regardless of where someone else might be coming from, we, and I would say they also, feel our fundamental values are being challenged yes. and threatened and that there is real danger, you know? Yes. And so in, in that climate, and you know, this certainly comes back to your film as well, it becomes very, very difficult to reach across the aisle as a human being and figure out how to... We're now talking about black and white issues and we unfortunately don't have time to resolve this on a one-to-one, -one, like everyone can't get in the car and drive for yes, an yes. hour and a half, you know? Yeah, 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 indeed. Yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, it's it's a big, big question yeah, what you've yeah, just yeah. said. Yeah, yeah, I you know, know. It's like 20 it's, questions. It's yeah. a big, big question because, um, you know, we everybody knows, everybody knows in the world if they think about these things, if you think about them, there's a massive desire for a simple solution to a big problem. And sometimes it is to do with the fundamental breakdown of old religion and old social order connected to... Uh, Things like belief in authority, belief in the police, belief in the justice system. I'd say system. in America it started like late 60s, right? Yeah, so, it has. You know, I mean, and funny enough, in, in America there's a still a lot more people who get by on a general faith thing than do in, the, in Europe, you know. I mean, that's, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. there's like 20, 20%, only 20% of the people in Britain go to church regularly or will call themselves uh, in any way religious, mm -hmm. you know. It's very, right. very small. But you can see the breakdown in trust of politicians, the breakdown in trust of the police, of the judiciary, right. of the education system, all these fibres that come together as a tapestry to hold society together as a way of working, right. in conjunction with the media, and now the break up the media and it becoming more in the hands of people who know how to manipulate it, this massive distrust, as I think, again, is rather than and sophistication, rather than making people understand there are no simple solutions to big problems right. has actually exacerbated the desire for it because there's a yeah, malaise yeah. that's come out of this. There's a kind of sense of people being lost. Plus, neoliberalism has caused a massive amount of good things globally about bringing people out of poverty. It's also broken down a lot of old industries, right. broken down a lot of old understanding, a lot of old cultures that were involved in a whole sense of, the, uh, of dignity of labor and so forth that have been removed because jobs have been moved away. Yeah, yeah. All these things, they, things shift the way. Global uh, powers have moved. So things have changed and people have not been explained to or facilitated what makes that happen, how that happens. Right. This is when people who come along, uh, for want of a better word, with demagogic uh, phrases and things, look like they might have a solution. Yeah, well, I mean, so, I mean, these institute things, things break, you know, it's like a couple of things, right? I mean, there's both, so institutions can break down mm. and then they can be, they can end up being replaced by other institutions yes. over time. Uh, and that can be done either sort of impatiently and mm. hastily, as you say, like mm. looking for a simple solution. First of all, like, 
revolution of any kind, saying like, oh, we don't trust the, tear down the education yeah. system, tear down the government, right? I don't know who's to say whether and when these upheavals are historically necessary. Mm. But, you know, there a lot of what's happening for people in the United States, like I'm seeing both on the right and the left, mm. is that they're looking at the political system and they're saying, well, it's just become too sort of mobbed up, you know, like yeah. at this point, it's just it's essentially like a conversation between Wall Street and Wall Street or whatever. Like, and so if you tear that down, I mean, of course, it's always easy. It, it's, it's easy and it's perhaps correct to say, well, if you tear that down, what, do you, what are you going to replace it with exactly? Is that actually going to be any better? But historically, we do see this, right? I mean, things mm. reach a point where everyone gets frustrated and, and things get torn down. It happens. It and happens. what comes up can be a little better. I mean, like, America was sort of an improvement on monarchy yeah, for yeah. a while. You yeah. Know? Well, it depends, isn't it? Because <laughs> when there is a desire, I don't say here, yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, of course, yeah, you know, yeah. that was going to happen. But some, when there's a desire for a paradigm shift, yeah. That does leave a massive opening for something appalling, and I'm afraid in the history of the world, appalling things often happen before very, uh, you know, before right. things settle down. Right, right. Now, you yeah, know, we're seeing you, ISIS rushing into the power vacuums of yeah, the Middle yeah. East that were really started after World War One. You know, like yeah, before. well, exactly. Yeah, yeah. You do. I mean, it's all a, it's all a consequence of what happened a long, long time ago. Yeah, you yeah. know, the, and as I say, this sense of uh, now this this easy uh, movement of these thoughts that aren't tempered by uh, anywhere else because they're actually loose on the internet and so on and so forth. Right. Now, I mean, in the, I mean, in a say, in a sense, why why this film? Yeah, let's uh, come back to it. Well, I'm not trying to do a no, crafty no, no. segue on this, <laughs> but why this film is, with, in, in a sense, interesting in that, yeah, about yeah. that, is that during, you know, the situation in Northern Ireland is, is there because of a, a very big, I won't, I won't bore you because I'm not that au fait with it, but I know that, you know, Northern Ireland was formed because a lot of people were taken there three, two, three hundred years ago to create plantations. They were plantate people planted there a little bit like mm. people came over to America. Like slavery. Yeah, yeah uh, they came here to well it wasn't plantations as in as in the um, uh, growing things. It was people went there to cultivate the land right, right. and they were given it by the British government because it was a kind of a, an undiscovered country and feudal, uh, um, you know, um, oh, okay. a feudal, you know, so people also as a punishment by Oliver Cromwell on the Irish for revolting against certain things. So there's a okay, lot of this. Go work this stony. Get over there. There's land. nobody there. They won't resist yeah, you. Yeah, and that's yours yeah. now. So there is this, there is a kind of odd uh, and a Scottish Protestant, uh, an orange sort of uh, movement came up, turned up and, end, and occupied that northern part of, of Ireland. And so it's created an odd mixture of Britishness within a, an Irish state. Gotcha. You know? So there's that. Now, now so that, but the people are there. It's a bit like saying, well, they shouldn't be there. But if you were, if you were a Navajo, you might say, what the hell are all these white with the American people right, right. doing? You know, it's it, like it, saying, why is, yeah. you know, why is the G Israel shouldn't be where is like all, all these there, things, you know, all yeah, them yeah. things, yeah, yeah. and then they have to say, well, actually, you were there thousands of years before yeah, you yeah. said, and we split right. with you know all that, and you know, I mean, it's like saying, you know, Christopher Columbus discovered America, well, what about the people who are already there? I mean, yeah. and, you know, it's like Australia, Captain Cork, the, it, well, I, you know, what, what the Aborigines were actually there, you yeah. know, so all these... You can play that game forever. You like, can. Who and should I, belong. And I'm not, yeah, and yeah. I'm not being smart. Yeah, this is yeah. the way that, that things happen. Yeah, but yeah. in this film, what you've got is 
because, you know, talk about jumping and cutting a long story short, mm. because you, you have, uh, you know, particularly over the last 50 years, this, this, this um, you know, polarisation of this problem in Ireland, for all other sorts of reasons, this, it became very much about, uh, you know, uh, unionism, staying in the British Isles, and republicanism, the rest of them, to join the Northern Irish thing. But it was an impasse because half wanted to remain, and still do, and half wanted it to be part of the United Ireland. Right. So over the years, there had been more moderate voices, there had been very strong desire for one or the other, but then it looked like they were going to come together and it was a peace movement that was very close to happening. But all of the moderates who invented this in conjunction with the extremists fell away. They were pushed away because it felt like a fudge. It felt like an inadequate thing that would end up with a massive compromise that would not right. help. So what this film is about is the fact that what you've got is the representatives of the two extreme ideas where they've come, like all fundamental people, implacable, looking like they're never in a million, million years ever going to shake hands because they are represented and in power. They have stuck on and they've managed to get everybody else to fall away right. because they're the last two men standing. They represent, in essence, the two extreme, yeah. impossible, implacable, unsurmountable problems together. It looks like this is never going to happen because we've got this guy who won't listen to that and this guy listen to this right so what this film is showing this actually happened it's it's a take on what happened it's not a full it's right, a fictionalization right, right. but it's a vehicle to have a look at what if these two men weren't allowed or were in a situation where they didn't have any spin doctors with them they didn't have any people they weren't doing they weren't preaching to their own converted to the converted these two men with their fundamental loathing and hate of each other and their principles have to talk to each other and communicate. Now, the two, these two men also had brought by their extreme and their uncompromising right. views their own people with them. Now, everybody in England was going, this is never going to happen. But for some reason, something happened. And we see what it is. Yeah. In this, this story is about, and a lot of it is to do with their bizarre, incongruous chemistry as two people who understand each other's extremities and find themselves, in a gallows sense, amusing but disgraceful, but, but to a point where they know they are the two last men standing who have it within their grasp right. to stop this conflict, which they do. So the film is a massive, in its essence, beacon for hope on a global sense about implacable, intractable problems. And I will say that it does a, it's both the acting and it's the writing and the directing, it does an incredibly subtle job mm. of showing how that connection is established between those two men over the course of that journey, because that's an extraordinarily difficult thing to do in the course yeah. of, what is it, an hour they're yeah. together? Uh, yeah, <laughs> roughly. Yeah, 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 yeah. And, you know, and so, and, and it would be really easy to to screw that up in a yeah. thousand different ways and yeah. turn it into this corny odd couple story yeah. or whatever but yeah. you guys like you know just you check each other out you yeah. fight you you mm. know in the ways and we don't end up at some easy cheesy resolution yeah yeah you yeah. shake hands and you basically say i loathe everything you stand for yeah. to each other yeah but we're doing I, this anyway yeah you know? yeah i find you absolutely acceptable <laughs> yeah. i can't stand it. i still but 
But underneath that, there's this bizarre connection of one human being to another, which when they eventually did yeah. form power together, they became known as the Chuckle Brothers. Yeah, they were walking around laughing together. There were a lot, which a lot of people thought, I don't, how on earth did this happen? <laughs> and the Chuckle Brothers are two children's entertainments on a very sort of okay. uh, simple TV series. There are a couple of brothers that from almost an anachronistic TV show right. uh, for kids that are like characters out of a sort of, you know, low-end pantomime, you know I mean? It's, <laughs> yeah. So they are, they, this... But part um, of it is about also, I mean, there's a story here also about like, about time and age and mm. how people change mm, over indeed. time, yeah? Mm. I mean, there's Well, indeed, well, that's the other thing about to go back to yeah. looking at, when I was looking at Dr. Paisley, he's yeah. 81. I, I did note in my sort of detective, or my, let's call it a detective, in my imagination, yeah, yeah. it occurred to me that I was looking at somebody, is that what, it was like looking at a massive concrete structure riddled with, you know, absolute a reinforced steel spine of right. determination. But I could see in him I definitely could see, as I look through this, this loosening of these joints, this kind of um, right. age thing, this, this stomach, this ability to accept the horror of this. And I could see this kind of, in this man who was very, very staunchly a great believer in the power of the, the word of God, I could see somewhere in him some loosening of the, loosening of the stanchions of his structure, which yeah. to me, Almost like there was there's a scene in it where they, they go off and he gets out of the car and they, they go to this small fishing port and it seemed to me there's a touch of King Lear about it. There's yeah, a sort of Lear. I thought of Lear. Yeah. I thought of Lear. Yeah. I always had that in my mind, this incredibly powerful man undergoing at the age of late seventies, eighties, this bizarre loosening and you know, an understanding that and I suppose that's a mixture of, uh, of age and actually knowing that your, your resolve, which is unbendable resolve, has to, has to bend. And what they what he like had built and occupied this uh, unshakable edifice yes, for yeah, yeah. decades and decades. Well, exactly. I mean, yeah, like... I mean, it's in the film. He <laughs> says to him, Colin Meany, who plays Martin McGuinness brilliantly, brilliantly yeah. Yeah, he says to him, what we are being asked to do is the people who have followed us so, you know, willingly, us as their representatives of their of their views, we are gonna have to risk betraying them yeah. to achieve this. Betraying them by loosening our resolve. And that's an amazing simple thing, but my God, it is And the, then you go you go like, how can we do that? And there we? is this yeah. this yeah, strange expression on yeah. your face as you you know, sort of yeah. both the like sad irony of that yeah, and yeah. the horror of it all. Kind and of knowing, like, yeah. knowing that in a sense that it would be something you have to live with because it's almost flying in the face of your own principles to yeah. achieve something. Now, that did eventually lead to him being sacked from his own church, the church which he invented, the Free Presbyterian, <laughs> right. and more or less being sidelined in his own party. Right. So in a sense, you've got this ancient old lion, this old uncompromising, big beast as we like to call them, political animals in Britain, when, you know, this is no comparison with Colonel Gaddafi. And when Gaddafi had been so feared, when, they, when that footage of you see him in that truck covered in blood being beaten to shreds, yeah, yeah, yeah. You th 
my God, as a human being, however vile it'd been, a bit like Saddam Hussein, the when he was just about to be hung. Yeah. You know, you, you go, Jesus, you know, you go, oh, wow, the mighty fall. All the old sayings are, and all the things that have been recorded in Shakespeare right. and so on, I mean, they're all there. They are, well, it's not even Shakespeare, it goes way, way back to the Greeks. They know it, they know this um, thing. It's in there, this power thing is so, you know, it's so difficult to, to hold on to. There's a, there's a line in a poem which uh, was used as lyrics by Lucinda Williams in a, a song she, she sang a, you know, on a recent album, which goes, have compassion for the people you meet. You do not know what wars are going on down there where the flesh meets the bone. And, you know, that, that reminds me of a lot of this, basically, that, mm. you know, people are fighting private wars yeah. and that have very public manifestations, mm. but, but that don't necessarily encode on the surface what's, no. what's really going on, you know? No, no, exactly. And then, I and, mean, yeah. and, and in, in, in a way, the, <laughs> you'd hope that the understanding of human fragility is something that we should all have and all will be a route forward. Right. But the other thing says, we don't want people in charge of us who are riddled with human fragility. <laughs> right. So how on earth do we get through that impasse? How on earth do we get through that double want, double need? We want understanding, we want kindness, right. we, want, we want consensus. But when we in get it... Leaders, we, we want clarity. Yeah, and yeah. when we get it, yeah. and everybody's getting a bit, oh, it's all breaking down, it's giving they're getting it. You know, yeah. what is, how can we, you know, so it's human beings we are culpable in the leaders that we elect That's you know right. we really are so if you you know i played in, in a film this um pierpoint who was a famous oh, yes, executioner you know and now he was a figure of the state he executed 423 people now in a way although i'm not pointing a finger at anybody if you live in a state or a place that has a a death penalty and people get hanged your hands on the lever whether you voted for him or not, because you accept it. Right. So we have to accept, there's a great line in uh, To Kill a Mockingbird, which I read recently, mm. uh, read recently, five, six years ago, and saw the film recently. Uh, the next door neighbor uh, of Atticus Finch says to, remind me of the girls, it's Scout and the oh, Sun. I'm not an expert on that book. Well, it's a great, great book. And the great, I, I commend it to you, watch it, rewatch it. remember it. it. Watch it again, okay. because she says, Jem, I think his name is Jem. Uh, yeah. You know, your father is one of those men that has to do our dirty work, the sort of work that we don't want to do and won't do. But your father is that man prepared to do that. Right. Now, that is, in a sense, a brilliant, simple story. But it's what we want from our politicians. It's what we, we want them to do it. We want them to be strong. And we want them to represent some kind of an ideal Right. of what we want, but we won't allow them the fragility and the frailty. It's a, it's a very Which might actually help them to make better decisions, but again, if they have that, we're, we're all over them like sharks smelling yeah. blood. Yeah, I know? mean, in a small way, this happened. <laughs> yeah, indeed, we don't, we don't want a weakling. We don't want a weakling, you know, I mean, but we do, because we want somebody who's understanding. We want somebody who's, a, you know, has a, has a value of understanding, has a humanity in them. But do, how much humanity do we want? <laughs> right. Because if they're really humanity, they're going to let people come in and stand all over us. Yeah. Now, that is a real human thing. It's a bit like that fantastic documentary, I'm Not Your Negro, 
oh, yeah. when he says, why do you want a Negro? Why do we need a Negro? Why do we need somebody that we can all think that we need a, lo a lesser person within a human structure? Why do we need, right. you know, all these questions. What makes it alarming is that we thought we'd got the root to it, which is democracy and liberal democracy and allowing democracy. But it's now we're seeing that in a bizarre way, although thankfully some of the march of the extreme right, particularly in France and right. so on and so forth, and, yeah, for the and Brexit looked and, and uh, you know, the election here looked like there was a massive move towards it, but it actually again, you know, within our system, as mad as it is, it's allowed us to go actually, and in the English, the British general election, where we all thought we were going to go for a heavy, hard exit from the EU, everybody's right. gone, actually, no, no. And Theresa May, the uh, Prime Minister, was saying, you want strong and stable leadership, and she didn't look strong and stable, right. and the Guardian thought was a weakling, still all of a sudden so all of a sudden these things shifted so there was a mood like we all wanted everybody to be tough yeah we all want to get out of brexit and everybody said yeah we want it but not that tough so <laughs> right, in a bizarre right, right. way so, so in some ways the system has the give in it maybe to i work, think so like, i think yeah. in the way it's the, the only way it's democracy it's the only democracy we've got yeah, yeah, well, yeah. heaven heaven save us from the alternative like assertion and elasticity yeah assertion reflection remorse yeah revision yeah yeah it's yeah. gonna and also yeah, yeah, yeah. you know also over the years over you know the last thousand years you can see the the way things happen the way yeah. you know way how all you know turn downs in global economy uh, mass movement of people displaced people that become vilified, used by politicians to say, we want them, we want to help them, we're not that many. Right. All these things, uh, again, the desire for, um, you know, a more inclusive, larger understanding world, but a, but a desire for smaller things, you know. We, this is a human thing, you know, tribalism, a, lo a local community where we all know each other, we all like each other, this is a good place. You know, we're friendly people here, but all that lot over there, they're horrible, don't go over there. <laughs> right. It's all that, that is exactly yeah, yeah. what happens in politics. It's not, it's a human thing. It's, yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, no, I mean, I guess, you know, yeah. it is human. You know, there are a lot of us that one way or the other would like us to be better than, than human. Yeah. <laughs> Either well. more compassionate or more definitive, yeah. you know? Yes. But yes, this whole framework with, yeah. which is a constant tug of war, yeah, I mean, it does I does represent the whole picture. Of I think so, and I think maybe, yeah. and I think age is a funny thing because I mean, I was sixty this year, and what I found is something which is really desirable that's happened to me, but it's very frustrating because I've got this tension in me now, which is a massive desire to have an open mind and see both sides, mm -hmm. but in junction with that, this terrible inability to accept bullshit. <laughs> so yeah, yeah, it's yeah. a very difficult thing, you yeah. know, because you want, uh, so you'd think actually your inclusive open mind would, would give more, give more uh, leeway to bullshit, but in fact, it, it, so there is a kind, you'd think they're not mutually exclusive, but they are hard. Yeah, is yeah, yeah, I once, I recently heard a quote, which was apparently like Arthur Sulzberger, one of the mm. original New York Times, mm. maybe the founder who said, you know, you, ha you have to keep your mind open, but not so open that your brains fall out. Yeah, well, <laughs> there you go. I think that's it. You, go, you know, because how, if, you know, if 
you sit on a fence for too long, that fence is going to go right up your ass yeah, and stick out the top of your head. <laughs> <laughs> on, on, on that note, I think we have, let us, let's transition to the surprise clips and see what has been found for us. This first one is, it is called The Psychology of Solitude, Find Meaning Mental Health in the Beauty of Silence. Scott Barry Kaufman, who's the director of something called the Imagination Institute at the University of Pennsylvania. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. A lot of people fear solitude, yet the great psychiatrist Wincott said that the capacity for solitude is one of the greatest markers of psychological health. So if you can develop your capacity for solitude, that means that you are okay being alone with yourself. As Cal Newport, who wrote the book Deep Work, notes some of the most meaningful things in our life, we do in our life that add unique value to the world, um, that are not replicable, as he puts it, um, are operate under the conditions uh, that are completely distraction-free where we try to eliminate as much as possible that, that ringing uh, you know, for on our phone that we have new text or we have a new email and, um, or w looking, going on Facebook and checking likes, so disconnecting from the outside world as much as possible and, and get in a situation where we're in complete solitude that we can get completely immersed in and really follow through to completion, something in a very deep way, um, uh, he argues, that is very conducive to a good life as well as a meaningful life. It doesn't mean that if you developed your capacity for solitude that you're a misanthrope, is what I want to say. It doesn't mean that. That's a false dichotomy. You can um, develop your capacity fully for optimal deep work, but, um, but you can also develop your capacity to collaborate with others so that once you come up with ideas or generate things that are deep, you can then share and get feedback and then go back. It's a constant process, constant cyclical process where you go back and forth between um, getting feedback from the world and seeing what your sense of audience, it's very important to know what your sense of audience, get a sense of your audience when you're producing a creative work, but it's also very important to have moments where you um, go into solitude and you, um, um, and you embrace, and, uh, embrace the, the beauty of, of silence. completely agree with them and in a sense you know there's all sorts of agencies all sorts of ways of of achieving that isn't there I mean you could actually yeah, yeah. say that quiet simple prayer is a form of silence sure uh, or meditation is a form of silence Do you but meditate you are, well I you know I was gonna say I was gonna confess I was gonna fess up that, yeah fess up man. I mean I don't um, <laughs> I don't uh, 
have any I don't attach to any church or anything like that yeah, but yeah. The, where I live in the centre of London in old London there's lots of old churches and there's one in particular and I was ill I was seriously ill uh, yeah. 20 years ago I came here and I nearly died so you go to strange places but what I do what I like about and in relation to what this gentleman just said is that um, I often will just walk in a church I don't go to any services I don't, I don't take part of any of that but what I like about a church particularly old churches, and particularly some of them are a thousand years old around where I live, yeah. there is a sense of silence. There is a sense of quietude, and there's a sense of um, freedom, movement away, and it could be right by a massively main road in central London. Yeah. All of a sudden, you walk into it, it might be psychological, but there is, it's moved away from the cut and thrust, from, it's moved away from politics, it's moved away right. from your, and all of a sudden, you're sitting there, and you might say, this is the time to ask for something, or this is the time to just cry, or this is the time just to say, I'm sorry, or this is the time to take stock. What this gentleman is saying is that we all need to take stock. Now, I understand that's actually much harder than we like to think, because also, in the modern world, we are bombarded from the point we are born to the point we are dead by imagery and influence. I mean, it occurred to me recently, about not so long as two, three hundred years ago, if you lived in a small part in a region or a small town, and you'd only have probably really encountered about 500 people in your life. Right. 500 people, right. you, would never, you people would never move more than 20 miles. Yeah, and you get to know them pretty well. Yeah, you get to know them. Yeah. And now, with, by the time you're, you can even speak through imagery, you know, listening to sound, listening to people talk, watching television, screens, screens constantly. Yeah, yeah. You've encountered a billion little fragments of humanity, all that aren't people for a start, which is a bit worrying. But that, that will give you this desire to want to go, what is it, where is it, where is it, where is it, where is it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where are we, what are we after? So that, taking stock sometimes. But then again, what the terrible thing is, when you do take stock, you are left on your own. And you might come to the conclusion that you really aren't that important. Yeah. You really aren't that important. And I think, actually, That's probably it's a, a really, thing. really good thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Not it's segueing into self-loathing, like, I'm not that important, I'm a piece of shit, what have I done? But sometimes, sometimes yeah. low self-worth has to be recognised because it can create a lot of problems. But I, I often think, you know, I will think about all sorts of weird things, but is the human condition to be still, quiet, and reflective, and understand solitude? Because it occurred to me, at this, the moment that a sperm leaves a man's penis and it enters the female mm -hmm. track, heading towards to fertilize an egg, there's millions of them, and they're all killing each other to get there. Yeah, yeah. To fertilize the egg. It's social, competitive, so, yeah. yeah. So absolutely, yeah, yeah. so in his microcosm, <laughs> ants and so on and so forth, these non-cognitive creatures are all at it. Yeah. They don't sit still, you know, you don't see a, you know, everybody's at something or other, just so that, when I suppose the human brain, we're all, you know, animals, the human brain has developed itself to expect you know, because we have a, a, an understanding of our consequences of our action, it's overdeveloped our desire to find out where we're from. A, uh, you know, a yeah, dog yeah. doesn't give a fuck whether it's a dog <laughs> or not, don't know. Right. You know, as far as we know, yeah, yeah, it yeah. gets uh, 
long as you yeah. can have a, a crap and have something to eat and a friend, it's all right. Yeah. Know? I mean, really, you know, so it's, there's a, to me, I, but I do think maybe <laughs> that that solitude actually, you know, cut off the desire. Cut off desire is a big thing. I suppose I don't know Buddhism, but it says stop wanting things all the time. We all Stop want being a something. victim of things, desires that are pulling you in every yeah, direction. Yeah, we want you know? it. We yeah, want yeah. things all the time. We want to, and it's, you know, buyer's remorse as well. You get something, you desire it. I was talking about it the other day in rehearsal. Yeah, uh, yeah. You know, uh, I'll do this thing about a big jewelry heist and that. And actually, once they've got it, the problem, once they've got it, was they didn't know what to do with it, so they'd got it. It's a bit like you, you, you yearn. <laughs> you yearn for a, a, mm. a beautiful piece of electronic kit. Right. You yearn it, you research it, you know, like a flat screen television, smart television. You get it, you want it, a box arrives. You open it up and the instruction book's the size of a Dostoevsky <laughs> novel. You want to cry, I do, because I don't know how to make this thing work. I've got it, now what do I do with it? And even, if you, even once you do make things work, I mean, they've done psychological studies and basically, basically it doesn't make you anywhere near as happy as you no. thought it was going to. Now, yeah. the result can't be, I mean, Buddhists get there, but like for me, the result can't be like, okay, therefore we must never want anything. Mm. But I do think that it's true that like what solitude maybe can teach you is to not be, basically not to be in the middle of this maelstrom yeah. of desires that are leading you in one direction or another with anxiety and desire and excitement and whatever, and to be, to be the one making more of the decisions. You yeah, know? stop, yeah, yeah, just stop, switch yourself off. <laughs> yeah, just yeah. go, hang on a minute, yeah. unhook the batteries of desire for two seconds yeah. and just go, actually, it's all right for a minute, you know. When I was seriously ill, yeah, that I read they, you had like a 60 40 chance, yeah, yeah. And yeah. I'm part of the cure was you have to get it worked, but you have to stay in a room because you they give you something that makes you have no immune system, so they don't, you know. And then you get, you know, it goes on for about it went on for about six months on and off, and you know, you start feeling removed from the world. You, I'd look out my window and see people going around and about and um, think, what are they doing, huh? You know, and starting to be slightly affronted by the audacity of normality, seeing people, <laughs> what are you doing? Going, where are you going? Slow down, yeah. Yeah, where are you going? Where are you, what are you, what are you, what are you, you're getting off a bus and going over <laughs> the to... Because I was in here stigmatised by, you know, trying to fight for my life. This normalness became weird to me. Yeah, yeah. And then when I came out and I was starting to recover a bit, I remember this is really one of the only first, it was a massive... Epiphany to a certain degree. I, I went to my local park. And I sat. I felt pretty shit. You know, I didn't feel well because I'd been for a massive treatment. Yeah, it yeah. got rid of the problem, but I was weakened by it. And I sat in this park. And I looked at the tree. And I just looked at this tree. It's blowing a bit. I thought that'll do. That would do. Yeah, yeah. This is me alive, <laughs> sitting in here, not dead, looking at a tree, thinking that's all right. Yeah, it's gratitude, right? Yeah. It's gratitude. It's like being, like, it's very, very yeah. hard to be grateful for simple things, but... Yeah, yeah, yeah. look, it's just going, ah, that's actually all right. What, <laughs> do what I want. Well, I want that tree to look different. Do I want to have a decoration <laughs> on it? Do I want to chop it up <laughs> and make it into something I can drive around? I mean, it, yeah, that, yeah. but that's the, that's the human yeah, yeah. desire yeah, because yeah. humans want peace. They want love. 
and they want a beautiful forest, and they want a beautiful lake. But they also want to get the trees down, tear them up, chop them up, make a boat out of them, and make a speedboat, and shoot a boat on that And I, I think it's good, right? <laughs> we should have Mike Lee movies, we should mm. have, you know, mm. like, but, 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 but it's more a question of when it becomes compulsive or compulsory that we, I guess, start doing a lot of damage with this ambition, you know? Well, indeed, because because the people are onto this, you know. I mean, business knows that people want things and it's yeah, got yeah. more and more clever at it. You yeah, know, they it's amp got, up that desire. Yeah, and yeah. the tacit link-ups between, you know, popular entertainment and selling and so on and so forth. We've got more and more. You look right back into history, you see it. You know, you know, look at old 1920s adverts, look at old newspapers, people, you're making you want something that you don't really need. It's yeah, a great yeah. thing. But, but it has become more acute and more subtly and more, or what more word to use, use the word insidious because it's, it's um, you know, a pejorative, but it's become subtler and more successful within social media because also this whole thing where subliminal advertising is in fact really illegal because it can't be uh, legislated against on the internet is there. You know, you're yeah, constant, yeah. you know, what, I, I mean, I'm a dinosaur. I, I wear my dinosaur technology with a bright certainly <laughs> because it stops me being abused by too much information. But I know when I want to look at something, there's things coming up in the corner of my eye, you know, a pair of shoes or something from here and every, and you know, there is this bizarre, subtle, you know, artificial intelligence is now making assumptions about what you might desire, which is quite alarming. Yeah, it knows you really well. Making assumptions yeah. and getting, if you've got 76% of that, Insidi it's going to increase your desire to have them. Well, insidious is the right word because, mm. the, I mean, the, there are people in those companies, they, you can say, well, they're just trying to make a living, trying to make a company, but yeah. they are actively manipulating your psychology, learning to understand you better and better and better mm. to get you to want the thing. So it mm. is insidious and yeah. pernicious and it will be, Ubiquitous too. Yeah, oh yeah, yeah more and more so. You know, and it, so was it was it Baz Luhrmann who did that song? He said, Don't read beauty magazines, they make you feel ugly. Yeah, right. You know, I mean right, in right, a right. sense it's yeah, yeah. it's a simple thing to say, but we, we keep getting more and more ways of measuring ourselves against ideals. And back to that silence question is a great one because if we even even beyond our own desires we're being taught to be more and more unhappy with what we've got or need more and more and more you're, you're never going to accept that you're going to silence and solitude and reflection is going to become less and less important or more and more ridiculous because what does it mean it means you're nothing it means you're a nothing yeah you know one of the simple things that i've learned in life that all people want to be told and this is in education is that actually you can do it you know you're all right you yeah know? yeah and also the other thing that is very important is that it goes way back to the, the change in, in attitudes and, and, and so on and so forth, on the same theme. There's nothing wrong with being a bus driver. There's nothing wrong with being a bricklayer. There's nothing wrong with being someone who's happy, who cleans dustbins, in a, takes out the trash in a hospital. Yeah. But all these things make us feel somehow that we are lowly or, or we, we shouldn't we should Whatever be we are, we Asp should be something else. Aspiration yeah, like. is a great thing, but there's yeah. nothing wrong with not having any. Right, right. There's right. nothing wrong with not having any aspiration. There's nothing wrong with just making enough money to get... Now, I'm not advocating that saying we'll keep everybody down, 
because somebody's got to do these jobs, for goodness sake. Yeah, you yeah. Know, somebody's got to do them. You know, uh, you know technological age is going to make le you know, people have to do less and less horrible things. But there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with trade. There's nothing wrong with being a postman. Or I mean, it should be possible to be happy because you have friends, because you, mm. you get enough sleep at night, you mm. have someone who loves you, yeah. you know, these, these yeah. things, and, and it, a tree, you know, is yeah, outside. Yeah. Like, and it's difficult, yeah, yeah. <laughs> now, and it's almost, almost, you know, namby-pamby and pathetic to suggest that that is a route, because it's all, all right for you saying that, you know, because you're an actor and you, you blah, 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 and you live this world, but, you know, all the same, I'm a normal human being, I've got family, I've got a normal life, you know, yeah. and, you know, they get on with it and they're, you know, they're relatively happy. But so I think what he said is absolutely a fundamental truth. It's just, um, you know, but you can't be, you know, you've got to get on with it. Because one of the things I discovered when I was seriously ill is after that moment of profundity of going, this is enough. It also augmented the fact that I was actually ill. I was in a strange state and I was isolated and in some ways peculiar by mm. this situation and I didn't realise I was getting better until I started getting petty again right. and being unreasonable right, right, and right. having desires because you have to be careful that, you know, often people do when they go through fundamental terrible changes, they do withdraw themselves away and take a look but it doesn't last long because the human condition state makes you want things and makes you want to progress 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 i mean that is what humans do yeah they yeah progress. i mean but I, I think you know it would not be a terrible shame if there were a way to do it we don't all have to sort of smile beatifically no you know but if there were a way to do it without less torture self-torture well, well torture indeed others, or you know, encourage <laughs> it encourage it within schools and so on and so forth yeah. i mean but they do try it's called citizenship and so on and so forth yeah, yeah. i mean I, I never forget uh, when I went to a, a part of a research from Mike Lee played years ago, you research if your character went to prison for a little while, you go and see what it was like. So you, you don't go and live in a prison, but you go and observe. And I went to this youth prison, and it was in this old castle down in Dover on the mm. top of it, and it was full of kids between like 15 and you know, too young to be in you know, foster care or homes, you know, for young villains, but old enough to be in a prison because they'd done that. And I went into, I walked into and I met some of these kids. And what struck me was that, you know, these are like 16, 17 year old boys. I thought they would have pictures of girls, pictures of, um, oh, you right. know, uh, women and just because of that, you know, that hormonal sure. desire and the isolation from sex. No, these guys had pictures of Cartier's on their wall and, you know, material things like that. Now, you could say, well, of course, they were thieves. But in fact, no, it's about aspiration, about what they want. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's not, so it's... To be it, somebody yeah, with yeah. something... How you relate, yeah, how you relate to yeah, yourself. I mean, yeah. in a sense, it seems to me that we've become more Georgian 18th century in that flamboyance of, of displaying what we are, of, of buying a personality rather than having one. Right, you know? right, right, right. I suppose yeah. the celebrity culture, you know, exacerbates that problem. For sure, yeah. and yeah, and it betrays a terrible, unfortunate insecurity that is very widespread, and yeah. that is, yeah, as you say, exacerbated by the media. Yeah, so to go back to what you said, in principle, I totally agree with it, but it's maintaining it and uh, making sure that it's, sometimes it doesn't come till age or till you've had a shock. You know? Yeah, yeah. 
Timothy Spall, I, you know, I could spend all day with you and thank you so much for this wonderful and generous conversation, no. uh, but I got to let you go. So well, listen, it's been great to talk to you. Yeah, really, yeah. really rare to be able to talk about general things and just have a good rap. All yeah, right, I really no. enjoyed it. Yeah. And, and Timothy's film, The Journey, which is absolutely wonderful, is out in theaters now. Go see it. Thanks again. Thanks. Thank you. And that wraps up another episode of Think Again. For me, coming here every week, or sometimes twice in a week, depending on how we're taping, and reading all of these fascinating and very different books, sitting down face-to-face -face with incredible people to talk to them about their ideas, it is a profound, profound experience in my life. And uh, I hope that it's of value to you as well if you're listening regularly, or if you've just tuned in for the first time, I hope that you'll find it so. If so, I would really appreciate it if you could take just five minutes of your time and go you know, onto whatever platform you're listening on. Sometimes you have to do it on the computer, not on your phone, and rate and or review the show just so that um, more people can discover it. And we'll be back next week with another unexpected and uh, unpredictable conversation. Hope you can join us. Mother's Day is almost here, and you can get her the most beautiful time-tested gift around, a watch she can wear every day from Movement. Whether your mom is into classic dress watches, rare and refined ceramics, or tried-and-true bestsellers, Movement has something she'll love. And right now, everything at Movement is up to 50% off site-wide during their Mother's Day sale. A watch is a gift that celebrates all the time you spent with mom. And a Movement watch is even more than that. Movement uses industry-leading materials for their fresh modern watch designs, from technically complex ceramics to vintage-inspired style all for an incredible value your wrist and wallet will both love. And with one-size-fits-all convenience and fast-free shipping and returns, it's a stress-free shopping experience. Save big on the best Mother's Day gift ever with Movement. Get up to 50% off site-wide during their Mother's Day sale at MVMT.com. Again, that's up to 50% off at MVMT.com.